So we're still in this series uh, called in, in Ephesians called Spiritual Affluence, which is the abundance of opportunities of our spiritual lives. So in the first three chapters, if you remember, we dealt with the doctrine, what we believe. And now in the last three chapters, we're dealing with application, how we behave. So last week, we learned about how as believers, we, we should be unified or how we can be unified. So this week, now in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32, we're going to learn that we need to walk in the new life that Jesus has given us. See, back in Ephesians chapter 2, some of you remember this, we learned the doctrine behind this. We were dead in our sins, and Jesus came to die and pay the price for our sins. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Two verses, it says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. So what that does is that fully encompasses the, the gospel. We are sinners in need of a savior. The gift of our salvation comes through Jesus Christ dying on the cross to pay the price for our sins. Jesus rose again three days later to prove that he is God. And the scriptures tell us this, all who believe will have eternal life. It is a gift of God. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. We receive it by grace through faith. So then Paul goes on in Ephesians 2, verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So not only are we saved when we trust in Jesus, now we're going to walk in him. We're going to live the life that he has planned out for us. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared beforehand. So this was um, preparing us for what Paul now is going to teach us. So Ephesians 2 is preparing us or prepared us for what now Paul is going to teach in Ephesians 4, 17 through 32 about what walking in this new life looks like and how we do that. So the first thing we're going to learn is we're going to need to change our worldview. Okay, when you become a Christian, you need to change your worldview. Our worldview has everything to do with how we act and how we interact with other people. Before you were a believer in Christ, you had a worldview. I don't know what that was. I know what mine was. But here's the thing. Before you believed in Christ, your worldview really had not much to do with the Bible. Maybe if your parents taught you some things that had to do with the Bible, maybe that was ingrained in there. But for the most part, you just kind of lived the way you kind of felt like living. So before you were a believer in Christ, that was your whatever your worldview was is how you lived. But now that you're a believer in Christ, here, here's, the, here's the truth. You don't have a choice on whether the Bible is your worldview, okay? We need to, as believers, have a biblical worldview because guess what? If we take the Bible and like just put it on the side and say, eh, I don't really believe everything in there. I don't really like a lot of it. Here's the problem. Where did you learn about salvation? What communicated to you about what Jesus did? It was the Bible. So if you take that part of the Bible and you're like, oh, I love Jesus, I love my salvation, this and that, you got to take the rest of it, okay? We don't just rip pages out of the Bible and throw them out. We don't put the Bible aside. The Bible needs to dictate our worldview. So Paul challenges them. Look at verse 17. He says this, now this I say and testify in the Lord 
that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So now what he's saying is this, the Gentile or the unbelieving worldview is just that, it's futile, which means this, it's pointless. Now this could be offensive to some people, right? It's pointless. Life has no real purpose. Now you have to ask yourself, everybody has to come to this conclusion at some point in their life, what purpose does my life have? What purpose does my life have? Now, you might answer, it's my job, it's to work. You might answer, it's my marriage, it's to be a good spouse. You might answer, it's my kids. You might answer, it's my hobbies. You might answer, it's my leisure time. My purpose in life are these things. Well, guess what? That can all be lost or taken away. Let me repeat that. Those things can all be lost or taken away, but eternal purposes can't. You get that? Eternal purposes can't be lost and they can't be taken away. That is why the believer is called to live for the Lord. As a believer, our purpose, our calling is to live for the Lord, live in this new life that he's created us to live in. So now if you're talking to someone that has a pointless or purposeless life, they don't get it when you talk about living for the Lord. They don't even get it because they think their life actually has purpose because they're focusing in on their job, their career, their wealth, their family, their hobbies, whatever their purpose seems to be. They're focusing in on all these things. And then you come along and say, you know, my purpose is to live for the Lord. And maybe you're interacting with them and saying, you know what, what is your purpose? So you start talking about that and they don't really grasp it or get it. Well, Paul hits that in verse 18. Look, listen to what he says. He says, the reason why they don't get this is they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Now, I would suggest if you're having a conversation to bust out this verse and say, oh, the reason why you don't understand is because you're ignorant, okay? I wouldn't say it like that. But here's the thing. Maybe because their heart is hard, they're not understanding. Here's what happens. Because of the hardness of their heart, they start to get annoyed when you talk about purpose in life. And here's why. And here's what happens. Verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Here's kind of how it rolls. Because they don't see purpose in life, they start to live for their own pleasures. They start to kind of make their own purposes. Sometimes they're very sinful pleasures. Other times they're very neutral things, but they're living for themselves and what they perceive or they think their purpose is. And as believers, here's what can happen to us. And this is how Paul is challenging us. If we lose our focus, we can fall right back into the same pattern of life. Let me say that again. If we lose our focus, we can fall right back, just like our old worldview, just like we used to live, just like our old self, no longer like our new self. So next, Paul gives us a directive so that we don't fall back. Paul gives us directions so we don't fall back. In order to walk in the life, we need to do what? We need to act on what we've learned. So in verse 20, he says this, but that is not the way you learn Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So now remember, Paul is talking to believers, but he has this little caveat here. And he's saying, maybe I'm wrong, 
but I'm assuming you're a believer. I mean, you've told me this. I'm assuming you're a believer. So personally, I've dealt with people like this in my ministry, and I know you've dealt with people like this in your life, right? We don't know a person's heart. We don't know a person's heart. But when they start to go down the wrong path, we start to wonder, I don't even know about this person anymore. I don't even really know what they believe. They say they're a believer, but they don't really seem to be pursuing things. They really seem to be pursuing things that are not consistent with being a believer. Do you know people like that? Some of you really know people like that. And the truth of the matter is, is what happens is, like Paul did, he's saying, okay, guys, assuming you believe this, like you, you believe this, right? I mean, we've been talking about this. You've agreed with it. You say you believe it. So now he's saying, assuming you believe this. Then, So what Paul does now is he, he gives them the benefit of doubt. Instead of like saying, like, okay, let's go down this road, he says, okay, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, as we all should when somebody says they're a believer. And he teaches them, assuming that they're believers, he gives them three action steps, and they're found in the next three verses. The first is put off the old. In verse 22, he says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So he's saying first action step is put off how you used to live. Don't live like that. Then he says in verse 23, renew your mind and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So he's saying, you know, you got to change your mind here. Okay, don't live like that anymore because that was unfruitful. That was unhelpful. Then the third thing he says this is put on the new self. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So now he's saying, here's what you need to do. Put on the new self. Act as if God wants you to act this way. Act as if, basically he's saying, act like God. Follow Jesus' example. You think of it this way. I, I like sometimes to, you know, imagine illustrations. You know when you go to a shoe store to buy new shoes? You've all been to the shoe store, right, to buy new shoes. You walk in with your old shoes on. You make a decision, right? You make a decision that I want new shoes. You take those shoes, the new shoes that you found, and you put them on. You knew you needed new shoes because your other shoes were getting old, but they were comfortable, right? You're like, I like these shoes. I've been wearing these for a while. They're nice. They're comfortable. But once you're in the store, all of a sudden, when you have those new shoes in hand, and I know you know this feeling. We've all been there. You have those new shoes in hand. Not only do your old shoes, like, really, you're really reminded these shoes are old, but then sometimes you're like, man, my, my old shoes, they really look nasty because you have these nice new shoes in your hand. I remember when I was a kid, we used to do this. You know, we'd go to like Foot Locker and we'd walk in and I would always ask my mom, can I wear the new ones home? You know, my mom would be like, okay. And then I did something, which many of you probably did before. You took your old shoes and you put them in the box and you put the new shoes on. All of a sudden, those old shoes not only looked old, they looked even nastier because now they're in the new box. You're like, this is so weird. I wanted nothing to do with those old shoes anymore. My mind was changed. Those old shoes were nasty. I didn't want to have anything to do with them. Yeah, they may have been comfortable, but these new shoes, they're comfy and they look good. So here's what Paul's teaching us. He's saying, take off that old life and all the nastiness that comes with it and put on the new life in Christ. 
live that way. The only way that you're going to be willing to do that is by renewing your mind. you got to change your mind. You have to call that old life the old life. Look at it and say, I don't want to have anything to do with it. It's fruitless. It's going to hurt me. It's sinful. It's whatever it is. It's hurtful to other people. It's whatever your old life and your old worldview is like. He's saying, get rid of that. Renew your mind. Change your mind and put on the new. So then what Paul does is he concludes with teaching us how to do this. In order to walk in this new life, we have to do the right thing. Now, this is always interesting because in our culture, truth seems to be relative, not absolute, right? That's, I mean, that's what's happening in our culture right now. Everybody kind of makes their own truth. So if I say, do the right thing, Maybe 50 or 100 years ago, if I said, do the right thing, people would be like, okay, this is the right thing, this is the wrong thing. But now in our culture, people are like, well, what's the right thing to do? Or they might even question, who are you to tell me what the right thing to do is? And let me just tell you this. I am nobody to tell you what the right thing to do is, but God is somebody, and he has his word, and he has told us how to live. So in these next verses, Paul gives a brief list that is not a comprehensive list of all sins, but a brief list of five sins that are pretty common. And as believers, they were probably struggling with these sins. So what Paul does is he names a sin, teaches us the right thing to do. Now here's what happens in life. The more we do the right thing, the more we live in the new life, and the more Listen to this. We condition ourselves and realize that the right thing is fulfilling and a reminder that God is the one who makes the standards and dictates what the truth is. So you see what is happening here? When you do the right thing, you condition yourself. You start to learn and love the right thing. You start to feel fulfilled by the right thing. All of you know how this feels. Because when you do the right thing, you're like, you know what? You know, deep down inside, I kind of wanted to, you know, lash out on that person. Deep down inside, I wanted to say this. Deep down inside, I wanted to do this. But I decided to follow after the Lord. And when you do it, you're like, whew, that feels so much better. So here's what Paul does. He names the sins and gives us how to act rather than acting in the sin. The first is lying. Therefore, Having put on, verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So don't lie. You were taught this when you were a little kid, right? Tell the truth. Seems simple enough, right? But not for some people. Some that are in the habit of lying struggle with this. Jesus said in John 8, 44, lies are the language of the devil. But do you know what? Jesus's language is truth. Jesus continually said, right? Truly, truly, I say to you. Truly, truly, I say to you. Truly, truly, I say to you. Jesus's language is the truth. The more you speak truthfully, the more you walk in the new life that he has for you. The next is handling your anger wrong. The next is the sin is handling your anger wrong. It says this in verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. You know what? You have learned this. You've learned this before, right? 
Anger is not necessarily the sin, but what we do with our anger can be sinful. We know that there's righteous anger. God has righteous anger. So he says, don't let anger get the best of you and drag you into sin. In fact, we need to deal with our anger promptly and not let the day end. Now that said, this doesn't mean that if you're angry with somebody, if you're having like a, you know, a heated thing with somebody or like an issue with somebody, this doesn't mean you have to rush off before the end of the day and make amends with them. But what it does mean is you have to take care of that anger between you and the Lord. You have to confess that at the end of the day, by the end of the day, before you go to sleep, he's saying, hey, listen, if you don't do this, here's what's going to happen. The devil will get an opportunity to tempt us and to react sinfully. You get that? The devil's going to get the opportunity to tempt you and react sinfully. So in our new life with Jesus, we handle our anger appropriately. The next sin that he mentions here is in verse 28. It says this, stealing. Let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, people steal. I mean, maybe... Maybe that's not your issue, but people steal because there's something they want and they rather not work for it. This is pretty basic stuff, though. But as believers, we need to be honest and work for what we have. But notice this. This is what I really want to point out because I'm sure that probably many of you don't have an issue with stealing per se. But notice what he says. He doesn't say go to work so that you're happy and content with the stuff that you have. Did you notice what he said there? He says, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The concept here is this. In our new life with Jesus, we work and gain so that we can be generous with others, not building our own personal kingdom and wealth, but so that we can be generous with others. If any of you follow that financial guy, the Christian financial guy, Dave Ramsey, he has like so many, you know, different things that he talks about as far as finances. But in his steps, basically what he does is he says this. He says, you know, make money, pay off your debt, build wealth so that, does anybody know? So that you can be generous with it. So you can actually use it to bless other people. That's the call of the believer. Think about that. That is so different than the paradigm that the world would say. The world would say, build wealth so you can get more cool stuff. And people will look at you like, wow, that guy's got a lot of stuff or that gal's got a lot of stuff. But he's saying, no, no. Build that so that you can help other people. Next is corrupt speech. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Well, you might ask, what is corrupt speech? Well, I think this verse kind of defines it by telling us the opposite, right? So words that tear down are corrupt speech. Words that don't fit the occasion are corrupt speech. Those that hear what you're saying and are not blessed by it, that can be corrupt speech. You know what? In our new life in Jesus... We can express that to others by the things that we say. Do you know, as believers, we should be encouragers. We should be positive. Our language should not be coarse, and people should be blessed by what we say. 
You and I both know those people that are those people when you're around. When you walk away from the conversation, you're like, I like that conversation. I feel better after that conversation. That person's encouraging. That person's kind. That person uses their words to actually help and build up. You know, so many times as believers, this is a tough one for believers because a lot of times we have our own motives and things that we want to say or, or little things like cutting words that we might want to stick in there. But here's the thing he's saying, Paul's saying, believers shouldn't act like that. Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe this is a tough one for you. Maybe holding your tongue is hard for you. Well, do you remember what your mom or dad used to say when you were little? If you don't have anything to say, right? Yeah, you know that. Well, Proverbs 17 actually has an interesting point on that verse. It says this, even the fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. So you might not have anything good to say. Well, you know what that verse is saying? Yeah, keep quiet. Don't say anything. Okay, don't say anything until you have something encouraging and something to bless other people with. Now, finally, the final sin, he says this, bitterness, which is really anger and hurt and resentment based upon your treatment or perceived treatment. We get bitter, okay? Maybe you're bitter right now because of things in life, because what's going on in our country, because something that's going on in your family. You're bitter and you're, you're hurt and you're resentful and you're angry and you're putting this all inside and it's just festering inside you. Listen to what the next three verses say. It says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, I know this verse says a lot, and I want to explain why I narrowed it down just to bitterness. Because here's what happens when we're bitter. Verse 30, it says again, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. First, Bitterness upsets or grieves the Holy Spirit. Do you remember that the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us? So even though others may not know you're a bitter person, the Holy Spirit knows, right? And guess what? The second part of this verse says this, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That is a great, great proof text for what we call eternal security, that means the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And guess what? You're sealed for the day of redemption. That means you're eternally secure. But you know what it also says for the Spirit? The Spirit's stuck with us, okay? <laughs> and guess what? He's upset or grieved when he has to live with someone who is bitter. He knows if you're bitter. He knows if you're bitter. And he knows what's going on. The next thing is our bitterness will ultimately dictate how we live and treat other people. Verses 31, 32, again, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Remember, this is your new life. And along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted and forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You know what? If you're a bitter person, you will not be kind. You will not be tenderhearted you will not be able to forgive other people when you're holding on to this bitterness. So Paul is saying, put all this bitterness away. Don't let it get the best of you. Don't let it dictate how you treat other people. Because guess what? It's just going to hurt you, but it's also going to hurt them as well. 
and it's going to grieve God the Holy Spirit. So in order to walk in the new life that Jesus has for us, we need to change our worldview, we need to act on what we've learned, and we need to do the right thing.